This week on the Rotten or Righteous podcast, guess who's coming to Shabbat? Hello and welcome back to Rotten or Righteous. It's a weekly podcast that looks at faith-based media and rates it on a scale from rotten to righteous. Let me give you a quick rundown of what these rating means. Rotten is like an overpriced Kia and an alternate reality where you pay for things with minutes. Something rated rotten is just not worth your time. Righteous, on the other hand, like a warning your dad used to give you when you were testing his patience, you should watch it. I am your host, Zach Geiler, and with me, as always, is my co-host, a man who needs every introduction I can possibly give him, Scott Judge. Scott, how are you doing today, bud? I'm doing well, doing well. It's good to be back. How are you doing? Doing okay. I'm here. And also joining us today is the only person who knows what this means. Beedy, 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 beedy. <laughs> I hate you so much. <laughs> Of all of the people I've traveled to Washington, D.C. with, he's one of them. The best thing from Pennsylvania since the Declaration of Independence, Andrew Beasley. Andrew, thank you for joining us uh, on Rotten or Righteous. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad to be here if for no other reason than to uh, correct you and let you know I'm from Ohio. Uh, but that's, that's okay. <laughs> Small detail. <laughs> Listen, I don't care. Um... <laughs> <laughs> Andrew, thank you for joining us. How are yeah, you man, I'm, I'm doing great, man. Thanks for having me on. Uh, glad to be here. So I cannot wait to dig into this episode of The Chosen, episode two with you guys. But before we do this, we need to go into a brand new segment that I made up on the spot yesterday. And that segment is Summary Delivery. In this segment... I have the responsibility to give you, my co-hosts, and the dear listener out there, a complete synopsis of the episode, but here's the catch. I only have five minutes to deliver it to you, or it's free. So let's put five minutes on the clock, and Scott, tell me when to start. On your mark. Get set. Go! The episode opens in 948 B.C. Chinnereth, where a group of Jews are getting ready to eat sh- the Sabbath dinner. Uh, there's a boy there who really care less about the Shabbat dinner and would rather do anything other than sit down and eat with these people. But his mom's like, suck it up, buttercup, we're definitely observing Shabbat. They're all sitting at a table and a man gets up and begins the Sabbath dinner by quoting Proverbs 31's verses on a God-fearing woman. The title theme, or, or the title and theme song begins to roll, and after the opening credits, we're back in Capernaum in 26 A.D., and guess who's there? Lilith herself, a.k.a. Mary from Mandala, where the, uh, uh, her demon is gone, it's out of her body completely, and she is at the Capernaum hairdressers. One of the stylists invite Mar- or invites Mary to braid hair, which she reluctantly agrees to, and then decides that this woman needs some flowers in her hair to get her look on fleek. Mary leaves the salon to go and get the flowers. She's walking through a crowd of people who are bowing their heads because a temple worker is walking down the street. Mary doesn't notice uh, this guy as, as she's walking, but she is seen by the temple worker who looks at her with shock. Meanwhile, Matthew's in a room waiting to see the Roman proctor uh, of Galilee, Quintus, and although Matthew's handler tries to talk him out of it, the tax collector insists on telling Quintus that he didn't think working with Simon, that fisherman, was a good idea. You see, Quintus' last episode made a deal 
with Simon? If the fishermen would turn uh, in the merchants who were fishing illegally on the, on the Sabbath and not paying their taxes on their catch, then Quintus would forgive Simon and his brother Andrew's tax debt. Quintus is impressed at Matthew's bravery and thinks the tax collector could be useful. Simon and Andrew are in Capernaum cheers. Simon is buying the merchant fishermen a round of drinks and joking around with them. James and John are among those drinking at the table uh, with the merchants. This disgusts his brother Andrew, who thinks that it's gross to treat the merchants uh, so friendly, only to betray them later. But Simon says that he's only doing this to take care of Andrew and his wife Eden, and he's just going to join the temporary reprieve from the taxes. Andrew also says that Simon's really doing this because he wants to be rich. Nicodemus is called into a meeting where the rabbi who saw Mary earlier told everyone that she was miraculously healed. They were all excited that Nicodemus's exorcism worked. Nicodemus wants to investigate before they make the miracle public. Simon and Andrew are sitting on the edge of the Sea of Galilee spying on merchant ships. They see one that is planning on fishing on Shabbat. Andrew says that the boat is one that their friends work on, and Simon says, nah, I don't really care. I'm going to turn them in anyway. They're not family. Nicodemus's wife is getting ready and reminds her husband that guests are going to arrive soon for Shabbat dinner. Nicodemus says that he uh, was doing some miracle, or he had some miracles research, and the wife says, cool, 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 but I need you back here in time for dinner because their guests are excited to eat Shabbat led by Nicodemus because it'll be like eating our dinner with God. Nico's like... Pump the brakes, woman. I ain't God. Sabbath's about honoring God, not honoring me. Matthew's sitting in his booth. He's got a black eye. His handler's like, bro, you're gross. Go home. Matthew says, no. My dad told me not to stop until the job's done. The handler's like, sounds like you got a good dad. And Matthew's like, nah, we don't even talk anymore. Mary comes back to the hairdresser with some Shabbat candles and explains she's going to prepare Shabbat dinner for the entire fam, or for, for, for Shabbat dinner for the first time in a long time maybe ever. She leaves to get, start getting things ready. She's stopped by Nicodemus, who's amazed to see Mary as demon-free. Mary tells him that it wasn't him that actually caused it, but someone else who doesn't want to be talked about yet. Nicodemus is amazed that someone was working miracles without wanting credit. Simon gets up from a late night of spying. His wife Eden is preparing dinner. She's not happy, and she shows this by aggressively chopping a cucumber. Simon is like, hey, I gotta work tonight. Eden says, why? Simon says, I can't say. Eden asks how he's bringing home food if he's not fishing. Simon doesn't give a straight answer. Eden says, sneaking around with Simon, uh, or all this sneaking around Simon's been doing lately just isn't going to fly with her. It's Shabbat dinner at Nicodemus's house. The wife is bragging about all the nice dishes that they have the privilege to eat off of. Nicodemus is distracted and is not happy that people seem to be more interested in him than worshiping God. His wife's like, nah, don't worry about it uh, right now. At Mary, a blind lady, a lame guy, and Simon and Thaddeus come in to eat Shabbat. Then they get a knock on the door. Guess who's coming to Shabbat? That's right, it's Jesus. Everyone has their Shabbat. Mary is leading her. Nicodemus is leading his. Andrews is leading Simon and Edens. And Simon gets up from the middle or from the meal to go do some more betrayal. The final scene is Simon leading a group of Romans to the Sea of Galilee. Time: four minutes and twenty-seven seconds. That's a wrap. Great episode today. Tune in next week. Um. <laughs> all right so uh, let's start out with with uh the good what were the things in this episode that that you liked what what stood out to you what what made you kind of smile a little bit as you were watching it to me i think we saw what could possibly be the greatest line in not only this episode but it, i wouldn't be surprised if it was in the entire series when Nicodemus is talking to Mary and trying to get information from her, and of course he thinks that it's because of him that she's been relieved of the demons. And Mary has the line. I was one way, and now I am completely different. 
And the thing that happened in between was him. So yes, I will know him for the rest of my life. <laughs> it is an incredible statement about Christ Jesus and his healing of her. And I think on a bigger, a bigger platform that really as Christians, that's what happens to everybody. That was by far my favorite scene in the whole episode. I should really write a song about it. I probably could go something like, I don't know, off the top of my head, Amazing Grace. Saved a wretch like me. Because I once was lost and now I'm found. I was blind, but now I'm see. I'm going to trademark that and uh, see if it see if it gets picked up. <laughs> Go ahead, Andrew. What do you think? I really like the contrast uh, with with Nicodemus and his sort of personal interaction. At one point, he says uh, something along the lines of he doesn't really like honoring God or their heritage. If you watch that scene, it's not so much that his wife actually says something along the lines of, "Oh yeah, she's very, she's very sarcastic as well." Well, 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 she says these leaders are coming to Shabbat dinner, and they're excited to eat with the great Nicodemus, right. the teacher of teachers. And then she says something like, "It'll be like eating with God." I don't think that he is tired yes. of of honoring God. He's tired of people treating him like he is God when all he is is a teacher. Nicodemus is like what the Pharisees should be. And you start seeing that come out. For example, at the at the at his Shabbat dinner when all the people are coming in, one of the uh, local leaders of the, the, the temple or the tabernacle says, oh, Honored Rabbi, we are humbled and honored by your presence in Capernaum. You make us whole. Only God can do that. Well, uh, I, I, I agree with that, and I think there's that, to me, where the shift is, is when he sees Mary mm -hmm. uh, and, and has seen this, oh, she's actually healed, because I don't, he didn't seem, when he has the, the conversation with the other rabbi, he seemed to be pretty shocked that this had worked. In the last episode, he was, um, he had, he completely lost his faith when he goes in and tries to... Um, cast the demon out of Mary. He says later on, talking to his wife, looking in a mirror, that he's finally starting to understand what the Old Testament is talking about and what it's actually showing is something that's amazing. And so he starts to become disenfranchised with the idea of being a Pharisee last episode, and it just takes it to a whole new level this episode, where he is, he is like I said, the best Pharisee of all the Pharisees in this show, where, where he is tired of being honored because he wears a black hat. And he was very uncomfortable in a couple of those scenes. Uh, yeah. And and uh, the one the one that uh, Zach, you had mentioned about the, the man that says, uh, you make me whole. And you could tell he was just uh, disgusted, upset. Yeah. And uh, uh, just agitated about that whole that whole scene right there. It's interesting to me to see Nicodemus and how that uh, – how his character is playing out because he is struggling. I think if there was one thing he thought would never happen is that Lilith or Mary would get better and these demons would leave her. And that's why I think part of it, that he wanted to go witness her himself to be able to talk to her. And boy, in that scene, he was just absolutely shocked uh, when he saw how well she had, uh, how well she was doing. Hey, and uh, he said in the first episode that Mary was beyond healing. So much sin inside of her. That was the only way these demons were coming in. And he basically tells all the people up at the Capernaum Tabernacle that she is beyond redemption, that she is completely 
lost. Yeah. So only God can cast these demons out. But you also have the pride of Nicodemus saying, if nobody else can do this, you know, uh, if no one, if I can't do this, certainly nobody else can do it. And then he's willing to look at the facts and humble himself because he sees Mary and he just wants to know what in the world is going on. Yeah, no, sorry. Let me, uh, let me just throw it back. I just pulled up on my phone that scene from, uh, uh, from this episode where he's talking to his wife in their home. And, and I, I guess I miss, I misunderstood the conversation when she says, you know, she's talking to him about leaving. And I thought that he said, I try not to spend too much time honoring God or our heritage. But what he actually says to her is I'll try not to spend too much time honoring God and our heritage. He's saying it sarcastically. So, so I misunderstood uh, uh, the conversation there. So, uh, uh, so definitely, but even so, I, I think the, one of the broad themes of this episode is change. Mm -hmm. Um, and you see that in the character of Nicodemus and where he is at, um, you know, prior to speaking to Mary again and seeing that that exorcism of the, of the demons that had possessed her was, had been effective. Um, because yeah, by the, by the end of the episode, when they're having that Shabbat dinner, uh, he's completely disgusted by the way, his wife, uh, uh, his wife, talks about it and speaks to him he's really kind of and i did think it was interesting i liked the play in that scene of that final shabbat dinner with uh with the uh husband and wife that knock at the door and come in and you hear the husband but you hear the husband tell the wife try and get a try and get a seat near the head of the near the head yes yeah and then in the background the wife is like this is solid gold from the best goldsmiths of Jerusalem. What a pleasure yeah. you have for stuffing your face off of food that sat on these plates. Beginning, I was hesitant with Nicodemus, but after watching these episodes, I love this. I, I love seeing him going Story from somebody line. who is uh, who's just kind of going with the flow. He's giving the people what he wants. He's he's preaching where he needs to preach, and uh, he's doing what he needs to do. His wife just wants him to keep the status quo going. And then Nicodemus is slowly starting to realize, you know, why are we talking about the plates? Why do we have these fancy tapestries hanging up? Why do we care about me? What am I doing here? What, what's so special about, you know, me? Why do people care about sitting close to me and listening to me when it should be about God? And so I, I, I love that, that. I love that because... You know that that makes a lot of sense that he'd be yes. going through that leading up to the John three inter- or, or exchange between him and Jesus. He's looking for answers. He's looking for the truth. He doesn't want to just keep going with tradition. He wants to actually serve and worship God. Zach, that goes that goes back to that scene where uh, he was with Mary and he introduces himself as a Pharisee. And uh, when when he when he shows more of the clothing, Mary takes her uh, takes her coat and tries to put it over her head. And and uh, Nicodemus said, I'm not here to enforce Jewish law. And that that really struck me as odd, because what we think about or what we know of Pharisees is, you know, dotting the I's and crossing the T's, keeping the letter to the law. And there's no absolutely no error that's within that. And yet his only concern was figuring out how this transformation had taken place for Mary. 
I think that what we've what we get is a good picture of what the Pharisees were like at the time, uh, in in many regard. I think we mm-hmm. get a good picture uh, of of what they were concerned with uh, and, and how they were getting things uh, so wrong. And while we might not know that, uh, you know, if Nicodemus went through anything. Uh, like this. I mean, we certainly understand that there's no biblical background that says, you know, the the story that we're seeing unfold is something that actually happened to Nicodemus. Uh, Again, I think the broader theme of struggling with faith uh, and the change that Jesus can have uh, is uh, is something that can shine through without, uh, you know, without doing the Bible any disservice or without it being blasphemous in any way. The Bible isn't a storybook, you know? It's not a narrative in the sense that you're reading it, you're getting all the details. It's not a historical biography. It gives us what we need to know and then go from there. As long as you don't change the, the, the point of the Gospels, I'm not going to have a yes. problem with it, you know? It's 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 very good. I'm really enjoying what they're doing with Nicodemus' storyline. Yeah, I agree. It's It's been fun to watch that develop. And I saw the director's cut, too, where he was talking about trying to give each disciple their, their individual personality. And obviously, we know a lot about Peter, and I think we've seen him come alive uh, in the first two episodes. But Andrew, we see an interesting... Uh, uh, an interesting uh, display of character with him and who he is. Matthew, to me, is just absolutely fascinating uh, mm-hmm. with what they've done uh, to his character and how he interacts with other people and, and his just absolute courage to, uh, as we've seen in the, in the show or in this second show, for him to uh, stand up uh, and uh, voice his opinion regardless of what what action may come against him. Uh I, I really enjoyed that scene with Dominus uh, with him mm-hmm. as well, where he went in to talk about uh, to ask if Peter, if he had, uh, if Dominus had made a contract with Peter and uh, you know, it wasn't enough. And then he goes on to say, uh, well, I think you've made a bad decision. Are you saying I made a bad deal? Yes. And you know, you're really expecting heads to roll, but that's going to, that's the personality of Peter that's going to be played out in this show. You know, it's interesting that you just brought up Matthew's bravery because it, it, it is very interesting to me that you do see Matthew's bravery in front of the Romans. He's standing up to Quintus. Yeah. He's saying, I don't know if you should trust this guy. He's not been reliable in the past. But he's brave when it comes to talking to the most powerful man in Judea. But he is a downright coward when it comes to joining his family for Shabbat. He goes up to the door, he's got the food, he's ready to go in, and then he ends up just walking away and eating dinner with the dog. I love that he he knows what he's doing is kind of sleazy. He knows that being a tax collector, mm-hmm. a Jewish tax collector in Roman-controlled you know, uh, a Capernaum is a bad look for him. And... Uh, I assume that's why they say that his his father disowned him or whatever, or that he doesn't go and hang out with his yeah. family. But I'm wondering if it is if his family actually disowned him, and that's why he didn't go join his mom and sister with Shabbat, or if uh, it is um, he 
is ashamed of what he does and what he does to his people, and he kind of took himself out of uh, that situation. It isn't it interesting that it makes it appear like the most relatable, uh, and you can't say person, but the most relatable thing that he has in the show thus far is his dog. Mm-hmm. That's where he is yeah. the most comfortable. The communication is right. very appropriate. He sits down and, and uh, you know, he's talking to the dog. If I have some left when I come back, I'll share with you. And then the, you see them, uh, I guess, really having Shabbat dinner together. Well, you know what uh, I, I heard a comedian say one time, and it's something that I've kind of that kind of came out in my head when I was watching this. Is um, he said something along the lines of even Hitler's dogs loved him. You know, like yeah. when it comes to a dog, they don't care about who you are as a person, how terrible you are. They're just there, you know. And for somebody who has that really bad social awkwardness, this feeling of shame, he doesn't want to be around his family, it makes sense that he stops caring about germs. He has this living creature in front of him that just loves him because he's got food. Yeah, I I thoroughly enjoyed the conversation between the Centurion and Matthew after he had stood up to uh, to Quintus when uh, when he was talking about his father and uh, the things that his father had taught him. Um and then the fact that he didn't have a relationship with his father. I mean, if I remember right, he says his that his father had disowned him. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, what the reasons are for that and whether he had chosen also to sort of remove himself from the situation, like you said, you see that a little bit at the end uh, where he goes to, to have dinner with his family and then turns around to have it by himself. I don't know, but again, I think, it's one of those broader themes to me that stood out uh, is the distaste and the disdain that was had historically for tax collectors Mm -hmm. and how they were generally on the outskirts of society because people felt like they were uh, taking advantage of them. I mean, Mm -hmm. we all know how uh, tax collectors made money. They were given a certain sum that they had to collect and anything above and beyond that was, was theirs to keep. Um, and so they were often corrupt individuals. And so you, it's just, it's sad. It's heartbreaking. I was so heartbroken seeing him sit there by himself having dinner with his dog while you have all these other scenes going on where people are with their loved ones. Uh, and there's Matt. And I mean, it's great that he has a dog. I mean, everybody knows how, how much company a dog can, can give an individual. A pet can give an individual. But still, that lack of just social human interaction that he has at the time and the fact that we know what happens to Matthew and and Mm -hmm. what he gets from Jesus uh, in the future, I think sort of being able to know what's going to come in that regard is heartwarming, but just seeing where he's at there uh, was very, very just, I don't know that, that, that moment at the end where he's by himself really hit me hard. Uh, Another thing I liked is the contrasting Shabbat dinners that we see at the end. That it was one, fantastic. <laughs> you see Nicodemus do, leading his Shabbat. He's surrounded by all the big wigs of Capernaum. They're eating off the fanciest plates. They have the most food on the table. Uh, then you see Simon and Andrew and Eden, his wife, sitting at a table eating the food, but Simon's eating quick because he has to go and betray the merchants. And then you see Mary, who doesn't have family around, but she is uh, uh, 
still leading it and and she's got the she's got the blind or the the man who's walking with a limp i assume he is he's crippled in some way you've got the blind one barnaby oh good old barnaby and uh and which one of those three does jesus show up at in that he's not at the the fancy one He's not at the one where Simon doesn't even really care about the tradition. All he cares about is 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 getting off to doing his job for Quintus. But he shows up to the the woman who was demon possessed and with the blind lady and with uh, uh, good old Barnaby, who's lame in some way. And I, and I you know, it was a subtle way I think of of showing Jesus eating with the, uh, you know, with the sinners in a way, the, the rejects of society. And also, I think, eating with those who were doing, or who were having this meal with sincerity of heart. Yeah. Uh, you know, that talking about I haven't had, haven't been able to have one of these meals in a long time, I think is what Barnaby says, or maybe the woman that's with him. Um, that stood out to me, uh, too, that he was, uh, that he was eating with those uh, who were who were doing their best? Who were really putting forth the effort to do it in in the way that he wanted, in the way that their law wanted them to, and and with that just sincerity of heart and joy at being able to uh, to have that meal together. Yeah, it 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 really showed Andrew that that is the meal that those people's heart was in the right place. Whereas you have uh, Nicodemus's table when they've been talking about possessions and, and talking about how Nicodemus makes them whole or, you know, the one gentleman said that. And then you have Peter whose focus is on something else. Let's get this done so we can leave. Um, but the table that Jesus is sitting at there is very, uh, those, those are the ones uh, that are truly feeling blessed for, for what God has given to them. Uh, and I want to, I want to bring up too uh, the funniest line, I think in all of this episode is when Barnaby and Shula uh, get get there to Mary's house, and Shula says to Barnaby, "Looking as handsome as ever, Barnaby." Lucky guess, Shula. <laughs> For a blind lady to say that about somebody else is absolutely hilarious to me. There's one part that I was almost going to put into the the cheesy section, the things that were just kind of cringeworthy. But uh, when when Barnaby at the end of the Shabbat dinner with Mary says, "Apparently something good can come from Nazareth," <laughs> I was getting ready to put that into the cheesy section. But then I saw something subtle on my second watch through, and Jesus winks at Barnaby when he says that. And you remember that's that's an insult. Mm-hmm. They're saying there's Nazareth is just filled with scoundrels and and worthless people. That's that's was kind of mm-hmm. like a slur, and so everybody at the table is kind of shocked that Barnaby would say something like that. And then Jesus turns to him and winks, and I got chills when I saw that because he's a human being, you know. And it was just that that one little moment that I was like, yes, finally we're going to see something where Jesus is perfect. Don't get me wrong, but at the same time he is a man and he's acting like a man. And he's joking around with the people that are sitting at the table, just with that subtle little wink towards Barnaby. Everybody's reaction to the joke where they just kind of groan. You know, everybody has that friend 
<clears throat> Scott, uh, that will say something stupid and make everybody groan at the table. Yeah, you, Scott, you are our Barnaby. Uh, but, uh, but no, that will make that comment that makes everybody groan. And just to see Jesus, yes, he is 100% God. We understand that. But he's also that 100% man. And to see him interacting with other just normal people, like a normal person, is uh, is something that should stand out. And it definitely did stand out. Another thing I also liked, we, we talked about this last week, about how in John 1, we see that Peter and Andrew met Jesus in Jerusalem before the call of the four fishermen, before mm-hmm. Jesus calls him. And so I, I was kind of... I didn't like the fact that I didn't like the fact that they were playing it like when Jesus does the 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 miracle of the huge catch. That's going to be the first time that Simon sees Jesus. They're clearly playing that out, and that's just not right in a harmony of the Gospels. But there was something that kind of redeemed it in my eyes, and that was. Um, during Mary's Shabbat, Simon and Thaddeus walk in. Not not Simon Peter, but the other Simon and Thaddeus walk in. And then Jesus comes in, and they call him Rabbi. And Jesus goes, these are students of mine. Now, I'm not saying that Simon and Thaddeus were down in Judea, but just to have some sort of, of recognition that Jesus has been doing his ministry for a while, that he's starting to garner some followers prior to... Uh, his arrival in Capernaum. Is there anything that you didn't like or was confusing or was unscriptural? Yeah, there was a couple things. I, I didn't. I don't understand why Peter's a drunk. Uh, I don't understand why he is sort of a, a lying, abusive husband. Uh, he seems to be very, at least in the in the one scene, which to me has one of the funniest lines in in the episode and we'll get i know we'll get to that but i i really didn't like the scene with peter and his wife eden i think is is her name uh you know when she is preparing uh shabbat um i just i just don't understand what the what the need is to make peter this this jerk you know i i don't understand that and so i didn't that doesn't do much for me. I get that it's probably just trying to add character backstory and background, but, um, you know, I, I think we, uh, of all the, of all the early apostles prior to the ascension of Jesus, the disciples, the inner circle, uh, I think Peter might be the one that we have the best understanding of what his personality was like. And that, that just doesn't seem like the Peter that I come to know through scripture. So, that's just me. That's one thing I didn't like very much. Peter is definitely cocky, definitely acts first, thinks later. He shoots off at the mouth, but he always does it with the best of intentions. He's never yeah. like a jerk about it, you know? So, I, and I understand that. And, and I'm not yeah. asking for it to be perfect. I get that they're trying to... Well, I, I get yeah. that they're trying to put again backstory and and make these characters dynamic and engaging, and I, I understand that. It's just I don't know. It to me it was uh, of all the characters, Peter's the one to me that stood out the most as 
why is he like this? You right. know, I, I just don't get. I, I just don't understand why he is the way he is currently in this in this series. And that's just me. That's just one thing I didn't. I I don't like so far. Yeah, yeah. And I wonder if I wonder if they're trying to help to be able to show a bigger transition when uh, he he follows Jesus. I mean, and I don't know that that's the answer or not. But yeah, it's not. It's not quite what you would think of Peter. Right. And and, and I think that you, you're both right. You know, uh, Peter's motivated by greed. He wants to make the most money. He wants to not have to pay his taxes. He disguises it as saying that he's doing it for his wife or doing it for his brother or doing it for his family. But even Andrew knows his true motivation behind everything. And and I, I don't like the actor of Peter. I said that last week. But you're 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 you've got a valid point there, and I, I I'm still looking forward to see how this story plays out to see if they kind of redeem Peter a little bit because right now in in their defense, you see Peter doing really bad things. He's willing to turn in his family. He's willing to be unloyal to his friends, or not turn in his family, turn in his friends. He's willing to be unloyal to his people in order to become a little wealthier, in order to 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 alleviate the tax burden. And then you see Andrew who he doesn't want to lose his boat. He doesn't want to obviously be homeless, but he also doesn't want to be a piece of poopy. You know, he doesn't want to (laughs) be dishonest in defense of the show. Remember, Andrew's the one that goes and gets Peter and introduces him to Jesus and they're setting this up in a way that's going to make sense, I think, as long as they play that out. Because Peter, or, or Simon is or Simon Peter is doing all this bad stuff, and Andrew's like, "Come on, man, let's stop. You know, don't don't be a, a, an extra jerk by giving these men drinks and and having a good time and joking around with them, only to to turn around and stab him in the back." And at the you know, and and Andrew's trying to stop him or kind of rein him in a little bit. Well, it makes sense that that Andrew's the one that goes and finds the Messiah and brings Simon to him. You know, it's uh, it makes sense that he's becoming more and more desperate to stop his brother from doing rotten things in order to, or in order for personal gain. Now, one thing I didn't like is just the guy that plays Quintus or Quintus in general. I do not like him. He is not a good actor at all. He's terrible. It's garbage. Sorry. How do you really feel? Um, (laughs) (laughs) I I see an incredible amount of arrogance coming out of him. I mean, it's just, I'm just amazed as he's talking to Matthew. He's like, faster, skip to the end. Yeah. And uh, uh, that's too much. No, I wrote in big, bold letters and underlined it like seven times in my notes. Quintus is not a good actor. (laughs) (laughs) Tell me, Jew, why are you here? Why are you here? <laughs> Hurry up, Jew. Who are you? So says the Jew who collects taxes from them. Mine is a different circumstance. Spare I... me. I admire it. Well, it won't surprise you to learn that to date, Simon has not fulfilled his obligation to uncover the tax evaders. He's in breach of contract. Not yet. But time may prove you out. Uh... What are you called? Matthew. I may yet have need of your 
keen powers of observation, Matthew. Oh, it was just... <laughs> and not only that, but... The fact that the guard was went from, like, zero to a hundred with Matthew. He was like, "Yeah, hey, I don't think you should trust Peter. And the guard was like, that's it. I'm going to kill him. I, that, that was... That was too much. Yeah, I, I agree with that. So I will I will say though that uh, Quintus was or uh, Dominus was impressed with the way Quintus secured the passageway. Publicanus requests an audience. Publicanus? Yes, Dominus. And are you his escort, Centurion? Yes. So where are you going? Securing the passageway, Preter. Ah. Well done. Come on. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. Uh, the, the only thing I would say to that, uh, yeah, I agree. The guy for Quintus is just a terrible, terrible actor. Uh, I think the reaction of the guard to kill him is made at least maybe like 5% believable because of the fact that Matthew is depicted as someone who has sort of forsaken the Jews, you know, and, and even I think prior to that, while they're waiting to speak to him, like they recognize like, you know, this isn't normal for a Jew to be ro working with the with the Romans. You know, uh, and so, um, you know, for for them, I, I guess maybe there's the the reasonable doubt that you know, if he's betrayed the Jews and they're sort of separated from one another, that the the Jewish people in Capernaum are not going to care if they kill this guy who they see as a, a traitor. Well, um, the that's the only time, thing to me that might make it believable, but it's it's just it's just a really awkward scene. At the same time, it's not like you have a, a, a stable of Jews that want to be tax collectors. You know, you have this right. guy who is clearly loyal enough to not just uh, uh, you know take take Simon on his word. That would have been easy to be like, all right, he's not paying taxes, whatever, and just kept mm -hmm. on collecting money. You have this guy who cares enough about his job to go to him. To, to talk to them, and they're treating them like 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 a poop that you stepped on out in the yard when you're walking your dog. I mean, it's it's it, I just don't understand that because whether or not I if I put myself in the Roman Praetor's shoes, I'm not gonna be so quick to murder the people that care enough about their jobs that they're going to come and tell me and double check and just kind of follow up on what he is or what has been said. Did women actually take the lead in the Shabbat dinners back yeah, in the that time? was. Uh, I, I can't imagine that they did. That was one thing that sort of stood out to me. And I didn't know if I should put that in the didn't like it category. But I did think it was strange, just given the role of women in, uh, you know, under Jewish law, uh, that that Mary would have taken the lead over that Shabbat dinner um with with other men there that that did stand out to me as being really really i just given what i know of levitical law i don't think that that would have that would have been something that occurred um I was trying to 
I was trying to research that a little bit yesterday, and it appears like the buying of the candles, that that's something that's very typical, that the, the women would have done anywhere from two to six candles. Uh, also, the lighting of the candles was typical for them. But then when, when they started leading that, I thought, you know, because of what you say, uh, the understanding I have of the Levitical law and how women were were looked upon, and, uh, you know, they, they, in many cases, they were looked upon as ownership. And to have that happen, I didn't know if that uh, was possible or not. The one thing that stood out to me as far as something that, that stood out and I liked, or at least I laughed at, was the cucumber chopping scene. I was really hoping I didn't have to be <laughs> the one to bring this one up, but nobody else is willing to take that. Oh, that mantle and run with it where where peter comes down and eden is mad she's preparing for okay yeah i think this might be and she is aggressively chopping that cucumber good morning love it's not morning good first seeing you then Mm. the bread is wonderful i know How's fishing? It's fine. Really? You're surprised. Why would I be surprised? I don't know. You tell me. You haven't taken a catch to market for days. And yet you have uh, flour, vegetables. Did you sleep in a warm bed last night? In fits. Why are you baiting me? I don't understand what's happening. Nothing is happening. You don't sell to market. Your hours are upside down. And your face is frozen in worry. Don't tell me nothing is happening. We're... In a challenging season right now. I just need to work hard to get through it and I'll get caught up tonight and I'll be right tonight? on the Tonight? What do you mean? I'm not happy about this either. I need to work tonight you so that... You need to work on Shabbat? It's a special circumstance. I can't get into it right now. Andrew will be here for dinner as normal and I'll just be gone for a few hours. Oh! Well, would you like me to fix your Shabbat plate to take with you? Listen, love, I know this Don't is not Don't listen, ideal. love me. I'm not a child. Okay, yeah, see, my, yeah, yeah, that whole, that whole interaction there with her preparing it, and then Peter trying to, like, come up and be, like, the, the loving, like, sweet husband only to get shot down was hilarious to me, and I'm just gonna throw my cheesy scene in, uh, in that same regard, because the cucumber scene stood, part stood out to you, to me, uh, Eden asking Peter if he wanted a Shabbat to go box was the funniest thing in the whole episode to me. That was very, you know, like, do you want me to pack this in a styrofoam container for you so you can take it with you? You know, that that was that was just about the only thing I'd written down as my cheesiest scene with her cutting the cucumber and then also with it to go. Uh, would you like a Shabbat to go plate? That's not really cheesy. It's just hilarious. It works. You know, I mean, I've had interactions like that with my wife and and, you know, where she's mad at me and I'm just and completely oblivious to the fact that she's mad at me. <laughs> and it was it was a poignant message. It got through. And I think that's all that we need to say about the cucumber chopping scene. <laughs> um yeah. It was funny though. It was it's, funny. It, it was it was great. Let's bust out the crackers and start dealing with some cheese here. Uh, I'll tell you that besides Quintus's entire existence being just one 
terrible. Just oh, it's just not good. Um, there's a line. I, I feel again. I I'm starting to wonder if it's the actor, and not so much the lines, because this is the second episode where I have problems with Nicodemus's delivery of one line, and. I think it's just whenever he has to ask a question because it's right along the same lines as last week's fish, fish, fish. When, when Mary tells him that it was not him who healed her, but someone else, the way he delivers the next line, I just, it made me cringe. It was like nails on a chalkboard because he goes, some one else. Some one else? Else? Oh, Nicodemus, <laughs> come on, man. Yeah, no, the, the there was another bit of cheese that I just remembered. There was that weird instance of a fight where one of the the Romans gets, you know, grabbed by by these two Jews that are fighting, and then Matthew's handler comes up and just knocks him right on the dome with the the sword and knocks him out. And then he turns to the other Jew and goes, Do you want to lose that ugly nose of yours? I'm like, whoa, whoa. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, (laughs) yep, that's exactly what he said. I mean, it's like it's like they they found a piece of Goebbels propaganda, and they're just like, all right, we're rolling with it. Straight out of nineteen forty-one German propaganda, yeah. Oh, you want me to chop off? And then he goes, Marcus, these these people only know one language: learn to speak it. And what's that? (laughs) Anti-Semitism? Is that the language? Good (laughs) night. So I think we have thoroughly covered this episode but maybe we missed something if you if we didn't cover something that maybe you thought we should or you didn't agree with some of our assessments you can reach out to us at rotten righteous at gmail.com and we can address those at a later date and a later episode or you can find us on facebook at rotten right or facebook.com slash rotten or righteous and you can message us there uh, like the page while you're there help get the word out on this so that we can continue to do these and and people can can come and have fun with some of these movies. But before we get into our review, it's time for my personal favorite segment. It is the Super Fair Unbiased Bible Trivia Challenge. It is a game where I ask Scott and Andrew random, totally fair and unbiased trivia questions to see who knows more about the Bible, that book that they proclaim every Sunday. Now, last week, Scott... You asked me to throw you a bone. So, we'll see how I do. Scott, you're first. <laughs> of course. Proverbs 17 and verse 22 tells us, A joyful heart is a good medicine, but a crushed spirit dries up the bones of the body. What's the smallest and lightest bone in the human body? Your eardrum. I, I'm going to need a, a more specific answer than that. <laughs> I suppose you want the medical term for eardrum. Well, there's there's three bones in the ear. Okay, and my answer is the one that's the lightest. Okay, uh, no, we're we were looking for the stapes, which is in the middle ear. 
Andrew, <laughs> your first question. Yes. What Super. city? What what city was Jesus born in? <laughs> what city was Jesus born in? Mm-hmm. Bethlehem. Correct. Good job. So we got one to nothing. Scott. Down again. God formed Eve out of one of Adam's ribs. How many individual ribs do most people have? 14. 24. All right. Andrew, we all know that the Bible is a collection of books. How many books are in the Bible? 66. Correct. (laughs) Two to nothing. All right, Scott. God wow, formed... man, these trivia questions are easy. Yeah, but they're totally they're fair randomly unbi- picked. Yeah, totally fair and unbiased. Uh, God formed Eve out of one of Adam's ribs. What is the medical term for when someone has too many ribs? And what is the term when a person has too few? Now, Scott, you're down two to nothing here, but I'll give you two points if you get each one of these right. Okay, my answer is more than you need a ribitosis. Correct. No, I'm sorry. I. <laughs> Thought you had it right for a second. It's actually supernumerary ribs. Or supernumerary ribs, I should uh, say. So what's the medical term for too few? Uh, lack of ribosis. No, an agenesis of ribs. <laughs> All right, so the score is as follows. Scott has uh, a big old goose egg, but I am throwing him a bone, while Andrew has two. Andrew, here's your next question. Sunday school kids sing the sure. B-I-B-L-E. What does that spell? <laughs> Bible! Correct! Three to nothing. Oh, this is a close match. Scott, continuing your theme. Famously, Jesus never broken a bone. What's the most common bone broken in children? Um, their radius. No, it's the collarbone. Hmm. Did not yeah. know that. Andrew, who is who baptized Jesus? Yes. John the Baptist. <laughs> Correct. Four to nothing. Scott, this is your chance to kind of, you know, at least get something on the board so it's not so embarrassing. It's the second week in a row. You haven't gotten anything. Do I, do I get five points if I get this one right? You know what? Yes, I'll give you five points if you get this one right. (laughs) Ezekiel was in the Valley of Dry Bones in Ezekiel 37. What is the only bone in the human body that is not connected to another? Your Cossacks. No, it's the hyoid. It's a V-shaped bone that's located at the base of the tongue. Unfortunately, Scott, you've completely botched it again. No points. (laughs) But, Andrew, here's your chance for a clean sweep. Your fifth and final okay. question. Think long and hard for you give an answer here. Sure. Who wrote the books I'll do first? I'll best. Okay. Who wrote the books first, second, and third, John? <laughs> oh, man. Um, hold on. Let me uh, let me rack my memory for this one. It's going to be tough. Um, John. Unbelievable. For a second week in a row, Scott has shown his total ineptitude as <laughs> total. 
All right, so that there you have it. Andrew is smarter than Scott when it comes to the Bible, according to our game, the Super Fair Unbiased Bible Trivia Challenge. Now it's time for our reviews. We'll start with our guest. Andrew, on a scale of 1 to 10, what would you give the second episode of The Chosen and give your reasons why? Okay. Uh, I, I would give it a probably a 7.5. Seven and a half. It was enjoyable. I think it did a really nice job of uh, giving us some broad, like I've said a bunch of times, some broad themes, uh, some some perspective on what maybe life was like uh, in uh, in the first century. Uh, I think it did a nice job of sort of showing us uh, the the Pharisees and what their disposition and attitude was. Um, you know, there were some things that that I thought were not so great. There was some acting that was not so great, as we uh, as we discussed. Um, but I, you know, if uh, uh, if I was suggesting this to someone, I would tell them to to definitely watch it, but to uh, watch it with and, and take some of the things that they see with a grain of salt and recognize that it's, this is not uh, an inspired. Uh, TV show that uh, this is uh, man's take on uh, the way things may have been uh, and a dramatized take on way on the way things may have been but it was uh, it was worth the I think what 36 minutes that the actual episode ran um, so yeah it was uh, it was it was good Scott I agree this episode was really good too I gave it an eight Um and uh, the, again, there's there's some of the actors that are just doing an outstanding job that I'm just thoroughly uh, enjoying watching. I think their uh, uh, their their portrayal of their of their character and how they're responding to the interaction I think is fantastic. Um, I really uh, enjoyed this episode again. I think that you know we're seeing uh, a few people's perception of what may have happened between the stories. Uh, that we get in the Bible. Uh, the only negative I could see was I, I was really wondering about women leading the Shabbat. I just don't know that that's accurate, uh, which that uh, for me, for me, uh, uh, took a couple points off. And I agree with Andrew that there's some things you just got to watch with a, with a grain of salt to make sure that, uh, you know, everything is going to be uh, the, the, the biblical account that we know of when they have the biblical account that we can know that it's true. So, but again, this week, I really enjoyed this episode and I am, uh, uh, I would recommend somebody to watch this. Well, I'm in line with you guys. Uh -huh. Now I did give it a, a lower rating last week. Everybody gave it an eight, the first episode. And so this week it's still righteous, but I gave it a six only because it, it wasn't as good as the first episode. I mean, it's only 36 minutes long or however long, and I still paused it halfway going, how much longer is this episode? You know, I didn't feel that in the first one. So from an entertainment uh, standpoint, it's not as entertaining as the first episode, but it is, uh, it does continue the story well. There's nothing blatantly that sticks out uh, to me and, and say, or it says that you need to give this a rotten rating or you don't need to recommend it. I think it's going to pick up. The story will later on. And so I think for episode two, we have an average of 7.2, uh, or an average 7.2, which means that this is righteous. 
according to our scale. And I think that's about right. Last week it was an 8, this week's a 7.2, and we'll see where it goes. I think that this episode was a lot of transition, so it wasn't going to be that entertaining or as entertaining. Uh, so we all liked it, we all recommend it. And so again, I invite you, maybe you disagree with us completely. Maybe you think that we should have given this uh, episode a 10. Maybe you thought it was the best thing you've ever watched on television. I would tell you you need to watch more television if you do, but that's okay. Uh, <laughs> tell us we're wrong in the comment section on Facebook or, or in the comment section if you're listening to this on iTunes. Email us at rottenorrighteous at gmail.com. Tell us we're wrong. Tell us we're dumb. Tell us why. And uh, we'll take that into consideration. Thank you, Andrew, for being on the show. I'm sure we'll have you back before too long. Uh, thank you for all those who are listening. Please tell people about this podcast. Please like it on Facebook. Please follow it on iTunes. Give us five stars, even if you don't think we deserve it, just because you're nice people. Thank you again for your time, and we will be back next week as we cover episode three of The Chosen, and it looks like our favorite redheaded preacher will be with us, Stephen Hagwood. Steve will be uh, uh, stopping by to discuss episode three, so that should be a good time. So, until next time, I'm Zach, that had been Scott, Andrew won't be here, and uh, we'll talk to you then. Thank you. Did you just put Tic Tacs in your mouth? As far as you know, I didn't. That is incredible. <laughs> you heard that? Yes, it was incredibly yeah. loud. <laughs> I, I am so the reason, sorry. Oh, the reason why I stopped Andrew is because I wanted to add that in, and I was there's no way I was going to be able to remove the tic tac sound in the background. <laughs> hey, let me ask a question. Does this does this turn my mic off? Can you hear anything I'm saying right now? Yes. Yes, we can hear you. Oh, that doesn't turn it off. <laughs> I'm so sorry. <laughs>